Hey, all you nature nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There. Nature nerds, welcome back to another episode of You're Gonna Die Out There. I'm Jen. I'm with my lovely co-host, Megan. Hello. She is going to be telling our story today. I'm going to be doing the science news. You know the routine if you've taken this ride before. (laughs) Strap in. Strap. Hey, listen, we don't have any announcements today other than the fact that we're going to be gone. For the summer, we'll be putting out a... Not the summer. Well, just one month. Yeah. Yeah. Megan's going on an amazing journey. I am. There's going to be some roller skating involved. It's going to be so beautiful. RollerCon 2022. She's going to go do her thing. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to take some time off. It's going to be great. But if you're a patron, you're still going to get an episode. Still going to get that bonus Because we love you that much. What? what? It's going to happen. Anyway, Megan, I do have some science news for us. I'm ready to hear your science news. Let's hear it. Well, we all love koalas. Yeah. We, except for when they're wet. I saw that one picture. I mean, so but that's scary. not their fault. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, honestly, soaking wet, I don't look so good. <laughs> I mean, who does? Unless you're like a supermodel. Yeah. Just saying. That's the only thing I can think of. We love them. I held one. You did. It caressed my left breast. <laughs> <laughs> but we all remember those terrible fires not so yes. long ago in yeah. Australia. Recently, the New South Wales government actually uplisted them. This is from May 20th, and it's from uh, Australian news source One News. Mm. And they said that the conservation status of koalas has been listed as endangered with the New South Wales government. And that is, they say, acknowledging that it is at risk for becoming extinct. Mm. So I think their species listing is very similar to our U.S. Fish and Wildlife Mm. listings. The status of koalas was changed to endangered following a a determination from the New South Wales Threatened Species Scientific Committee, and it noted habitat loss had significantly affected and lessened populations. They say in the last two decades, the numbers of koalas was estimated to have fallen by 50%. Dang. Yeah, that's pretty bad. The committee acknowledged that that figure may not even go far enough in counting koala deaths, noting that the Black Summer bushfires which is that 2021, those bushfires that we all saw was koalas were just in. Yeah, it was just terrible. It was just like pandemic plus. All the things. Yeah. So saying that those bushfires and the drought caused more habitat loss and impacted them just to a much worse degree. Mm. Other factors were vegetation clearance from urbanization, grazing, agriculture, and mining. So those have all reduced habitat. The only bioregion in New South Wales with, they say, a convincing evidence of a stable koala population is an area called the New England Tablelands, and it had 13% of its landscape burned during that all those fires. Dang. I know. So they have this new South Wales koala strategy where the government has set aside $200 million to try and secure the future, they say, of koalas in the wild. Mm. And there's a bunch of other organizations that have also provided some funds. And they say today is a very dark day for koalas in New South Wales. And that's very sad. But I hope that with all these financial commitments and extra effort, maybe they'll be able to turn it around. But 
I was hoping to find some good news about koalas, you know, like that they're doing much better since, I mean, obviously the fires aren't going anymore. So right. Yeah. That's good. But it just, I, I figured it had a big impact. That's very sad. It's very sad. I'm glad they're, they're working on something. Yes. They're not just like, all right, bye koalas. Yeah. No, I, I've been seeing, actually, I've been seeing a lot of papers pop up about koalas and there's a lot happening in koala conservation. And I think when they work on conserving these areas for koalas, of course, they're helping a lot of other species. So that's always the good thing, too. Always you got this good. beautiful umbrella species. Excellent. Yes. So, Megan. Yes. I'm excited to hear your story. I don't know what you're talking about today. I'm stoked to tell you about it. I can tell you're super stoked. If you could see her face right now, it's the face of stokedness. It's amazing. This was actually a listener suggestion, a uh, actually good friend of ours, Christine, my pipetter friend. Oh, hi, Christine. She had Christine. mentioned to me like, oh, this is something I would like you guys to talk about. And I was like, all right, let's do it. We're going to start with some background information on tsunamis. Oh, I love background information. Yeah. I think that we've done a couple episodes where we talk about tsunamis, if I'm not mistaken. We definitely <laughs> talked about one in Japan at the Cat Island, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we did. We've mm -hmm. talked about a little bit when we talk about weather events. Maybe we need a little refresher first. OK, let's start with that. Yes. A tsunami is a series of ocean waves that send surges of water. Sometimes they're going to reach over 100 feet high or 30.5 meters that go onto land. So it's not just one giant wave. We'll get to that in a, little, in a second. Okay. Um, they're caused by large undersea earthquakes. And that happens when the ocean floor at a plate boundary rises or falls suddenly. We all kind of know what earthquakes are, right? Yes. Um, and what happens is the water above where the earthquake happens, it gets displaced. And that's what launches these rolling waves that eventually become a tsunami. 80% mm -hmm. of tsunamis happen within the Pacific Ocean's ring of fire, which we've talked about, I'm sure, a number of times. Tsunamis can also be caused by landslides above and below the water or volcanic eruptions. And it's possible in Earth's history, a tsunami could have been caused by a meteor or a meteorite hitting the planet. Well, that's exciting. I mean, not really. Yeah. It feels very frightening. Super frightening. Yeah. Tsunamis can travel at up to 500 miles an hour. That's 805 kilometers an hour, equivalent to a jet airplane, which means that they can cross an entire expanse of the Pacific Ocean in less than a day. Additionally, because they are traveling very quickly, they lose very little momentum. So they're just like barreling. When we look at a tsunami in the deep ocean, those tsunami waves might look like they're only a foot or so in height. But as they get nearer to shoreline and they're hitting shallow water, they're going to slow down and begin to grow in energy and height. And actually, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but the wave kind of like ends up piling up on top of itself. So it becomes a wall of water, not just a wave that's going to crash on the beach, but a Ugh. full on wall. Frightening. Yeah. Tsunamis are a series of waves, like I mentioned, and that series is called a wave train. And folks used to call tsunamis tidal waves, right? Uh -huh. And so I was like, let me just look it up. What's the difference between tidal waves and tsunamis? And this is going to sound so stupid. Tidal waves are created by the gravitational pull of the sun and the moon. Literally just tides Okay, are tidal waves. Yes. Which is difficult because when I know when I was growing up, people would say tidal waves and you automatically think some massive wave. But yeah. really, it's just the wave action. Yeah. On a beach. And, and that might change season to season, time of day, low tide, high tide. Those are tidal waves. Fun fact, smaller tsunamis might look like a quick surge into coastal areas and they won't, but it won't follow like a regular tidal pattern. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so it might be like low tide, but then all of a sudden there's like a bunch of flood water happening. So that might be like a, a small tsunami. Oh, OK. Yeah. The state of Hawaii has more tsunamis than anywhere else. Tsunamis can affect all regions in the Pacific, of course. We've heard of many of these. Earthquakes are the most common cause of Hawaiian tsunamis because no matter where the wave is coming from, Hawaii is sitting in the middle of that ring. If the ring of fire has an earthquake on, you know, the east side or the west side, doesn't matter. The wave is going to head towards Hawaii at some point. Let's talk about the top five tsunamis. And these are going to increase in impact and sometimes height as we go from one to five. So five will be the worst. April 1st, 1946, the Aleutian Islands had an earthquake of 8.1 on the Richter scale. The seafloor ruptured just south of Unimac Island in the Aleutian Islands. And the first people to experience the tsunami, the effects, were at the Scotch Cave Lighthouse in Unimac. And there were five men inside the lighthouse and a 100-foot wave destroyed the lighthouse completely and killed them all. It was at 2 a.m. A 100-foot? 100-foot wave. You'll find out that when the earthquake happens, the tsunami is the worst at the impact point. Oh, my gosh. I would think it would be worse later that it would build. build. But no. Oh, my gosh. Because all that energy is right there. Wait, is this number one? This is number one. Of five and five is the worst? And that was a 100-foot wave? Correct. It was at 2 o'clock in the morning. They weren't awake. They never knew it hit them, hopefully. Are you sure? Right. Yeah. Obviously, we don't know, but we assume. Okay. The tsunami continued towards Hawaii going 800 kilometers per hour. And I apologize. I didn't do conversions to kilometers. Let me get out (laughs) my trusty smartphone over here. (laughs) 500 miles per hour. That's pretty freaking fast. That is really, really fast. That's how fast I drive on the road. (laughs) Pretty much. All the time. On the Big Island, there was this small seaside village called Lao Pa Hoi Hoi. The people who were living there, small little community, they went out to see the wave. Okay. They just saw a big wave coming. Mm-hmm. It was four hours and 20 minutes after the earthquake happened that it arrived to Hilo. And the ocean sucked out, mm. right? And everybody was like, what? And then it was coming back in, but it wasn't really big. And because it was kind of small, everybody was like, oh, let's go to the beach and look at it. It'll be really fun. When the second wave came, people were actually posing for photos. They were like, oh, it's a twin wave. Because at that time, a lot of people thought, and I think still today, think that tsunamis are one wave. Right. That's it, one giant wave and then it's done. But it's not. It's like I said, that wave train, a series of waves. The second wave came and it was still kind of small. And they were like taking pictures. There's actually a photo of it kind of having fun. It was Mm -hmm. interesting. But then the third wave came and it was over nine feet tall. Oh, my gosh. And it was a wall of water. They described it as a wall because it was doing that thing where the top of the wave was actually pushing the trough of the wave, the bottom of the wave up. So it was piling in on itself like a stadium seating when you push back stadium seating Uh like that. At the school in Lao Pa Hoi Hoi, there was only one survivor. It was very sad. And I watched this YouTube video that I pulled a a lot of this information from that I put a link in. And the woman who survived at the time that they did the recording was still alive. And there's like a memorial there you can go see. Mm -hmm. Very sad. Uh, Walter Dudley is an oceanographer at UH Hilo. And he says that all tsunamis are different because no two coastlines are the same, which makes sense. Right. Like the reef is going to be different. The seafloor, that kind of stuff. In the case of Hilo Bay, You have to think of it as like a bathtub. So, you know, when you were putting your kids in their bath and they would find that perfect rhythm of sloshing the water so that it would go 
up to the side of the edge of the bath, but it wouldn't go over. But if they went a little bit further, if you push a little bit harder, the water would go out of the bathtub. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know he... my kids never splashed water out of the bathtub. <laughs> oh, yeah. What you're talking about. <laughs> They're like perfect angels. Yes. My son, it was like a flood. After. <laughs> Just a lot of, I would be like, why? Why is this happening? Anyway, so Hilo Bay acts like a tub, causing that sloshing back and forth. The tsunami waves come in, they mm-hmm. hit parts of the land, but then the, when they come into the bay, they just kind of like slosh back and forth and build up more <gasps> momentum. No. Yeah. And at this time, Hilo Bay, all the people who were like in Hilo Town, Hilo Bay area, they were uh, completely unaware of the danger, just as much as the folks in the small community that got hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walter interviewed this woman, Jean Branch Johnston, in the early 1990s about her ordeal when she was six years old, 1946. Quote, she remembers a lush neighborhood of coconut trees and brackish ponds that would rise and fall with the tide. People earned their wages at the surrounding sugarcane plantations. At this time, she's at her grandparents' house and she was getting ready for school. She's still in her pajamas, like Mm -hmm. eating breakfast. And actually, she was messing around. You know how like kids do when they're getting ready for school? They're just like, especially she has her brother who's younger than her. He's four. And they're just Mm -hmm. playing around in like the living room. Yeah. Probably not listening to anybody. Yeah. So they heard people blowing their horns outside, like honking their horns on the road. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, hey, her brother, David, she's like, hey, David, let's go outside. We'll see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Right. Six and four. They run outside. She says the first wave was like a high tide that kept rising. It washed out part of the main road. Drivers who didn't realize the road damage were honking at others who had stopped. So that's what all the honking was, was that the road is getting washed out. So they're looking around and there were these red ants that started biting David. He was like really wanting to go inside. And Jean says he started whining and carrying on. I was really interested in staying out there, but he said, come on, let's go inside. So I took him back inside the house, which saved our lives. He and I wouldn't have been here today if it hadn't been for those red ants. Um, Yeah. The second wave is coming in at this point to Hilo Bay and it reached her grandmother's clothesline in the yard and she's upstairs and she starts yelling to her grandmother. There's water in the backyard. But her grandmother was like, no worries. It's probably just high seas. Like, mm-hmm. whatever. But I guess the grandmother looked outside and saw what was happening. And she was started to scream for Jean's grandfather. Mm-hmm. And the grandfather apparently was really stubborn. He was like, we're staying at the house. The kids are going to go with this neighbor. We're going to stay here because I'm not leaving my house. Mm-hmm. And so grandma and granddad stayed at the house. They had this neighbor who they called Uncle Eddie, which I kind of miss that about Hawaii. Like everybody calls everybody uncle. Uncle, uncle auntie, auntie and, yeah, auntie yeah. and uncle, yeah. I really love that. Anyway, they have this guy who lives in the neighborhood called Uncle Eddie, and he took charge of the surrounding houses. He basically was like, they describe him as just like having this machete and being like, all right, you guys, let's go. We're going to go up this hill. You know, so he gathers all the kids and like people from their neighborhood, and they just start going up this path up to a radio tower. And I guess most of the people with him were children, and they were barefoot. Like nobody's wearing shoes. They're just running out of their house in the morning trying to get to safety. Mm -hmm. They kept telling us to run, Johnson said. She remembers cutting her feet on sharp lava rocks. The images of water percolating through those rocks and floating thorny laohala leaves would appear for years in her dreams. They ended up getting into a radio tower and sent the kids up to the top of the radio tower. And I guess they were just like playing like Mm -hmm. it's cool. (laughs) Tsunami time to play. And then once the tsunami receded, they went back down. And Jean said, uh, the adults told us not to go out to the street, but it looked very interesting. So I went out there anyway. I saw a house that was sitting on a bunch of cushions from chairs. Then I found out why they didn't want us to go. I saw someone's arm sticking out from underneath a house. 
Ooh. Yeah. Like the house picked up and moved and landed on somebody? Yes. Oh, no. Luckily, Jean's family, they all survived. Oh, okay. I was so worried when you said the, grandpa, the grandparents, the grandparents, yeah. that they wouldn't leave. I was like, come on. So she says, I've realized over the last 20 years that it had a tremendous impact on me emotionally and psychologically. I never really was in touch with it until I started doing tsunami survivor interviews myself. So after this Dr. Walter interviewed her, she actually stopped having dreams of swimming in between those laohala leaves, the Mm -hmm. like spiky leaves and all those rocks and stuff like that. Because of the impact of storytelling in her life, she helped found what's called the Pacific Tsunami Museum. And she spends a lot of her time traveling and interviewing tsunami survivors. So I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Part of the makeup of downtown Hilo in 1946 was this small community called Shinmachi, meaning new town. It's a Japanese town or like part of the town where a lot of Japanese people lived, had shops, businesses, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess in the front of the that area, there was a train that would run up and down. And they say that the tsunami picked up the train track and just twisted it like a pretzel. Oh, my God. I know. It's insane. Anyway, I found this trailer on PBS. I just want to say that if you have a chance to go watch this documentary about Shinmachi, I think it's called Shinmachi Stronger Than a Tsunami, and it's on PBS. Okay. You can can watch it. I love PBS documentaries. It looks really interesting. All in all, this tsunami destroyed 500 homes. It killed 96 people in Hilo and 159 people across Hawaii. I don't know if that's Hawaii State or if it's just Hawaii Island, but Mm -hmm. 159 people total. All right. Number two, May 22nd, 1960, the largest earthquake in recorded history mm-hmm. happens in Chile. It was between a 9.4 and a 9.6 on the Richter scale. Ooh. The ocean floor, floor thrust up 20 meters. What? Again, for this story, we're going to be in Hilo Bay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, they had a five-hour warning. So between 1946 and 1960, they were like, all right, you guys, we have to have a warning system for this because yeah. too many people were like, let's go look at the ocean because it looks weird. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But people didn't actually heed the warning because in the previous 20 years, so they had that big one in 1946. Mm-hmm. And since then, every tsunami, three out of four tsunamis were super small. Yeah. And so they became complacent. Yes. It happens. The civil defense were like, you guys need to evacuate. You got to get out of here. This massive earthquake. But again, people went down to look on the beach. They made assumptions that they were safe because the wave was actually coming from the southeast and Hilo Bay is in the north, but they were really wrong. Just after midnight, the first wave comes in. By the end of that first wave, 700 buildings were destroyed and 61 people died. There's a picture of parking meters that I saw where they're just like bent over sideways, just parallel with the ground. Oh, my gosh. Um, one of the is this sur- is, wait, this is the same place that got hit? Same place. Okay. Yeah, Hilo Bay. One of the survivors describes the screaming and yelling in the pitch dark and just how it was like chaos. As the wave hit the southeast end of the island, the middle part of the wave slowed down, but the rest of the wave actually wrapped around the island and went into Hilo Bay and caused that bathtub effect again. This wave was 10.5 meters high. And it wasn't just Hawaii that got hit by this. Every coast within that, uh, like, I guess, ring of fire was hit in some way. And in Japan, 121 people died. Wow. Let's talk a little bit about Japan. The second tsunami, most tsunami prone location is Japan. And actually, the word tsunami comes from Japanese. It means harbor wave. Okay. Yeah. Local tsunamis pose the worst danger, which local tsunamis mean any kind of earthquake that happens right outside of Japan, like 
that causes tsunami to be formed right next to Japan because the energy from the earthquake is like concentrated at that area that the waves are really high. Mm-hmm. It's like an explosion. 10 meters is about 35 feet for those of Thank you our much. listeners that... <laughs> Don't use meters? Yes. Americans. <laughs> <laughs> so this next tsunami is in 1993. There was a 7.8 earthquake off the coast of Hokkaido. Is this number three? Number three. Okay. Yeah. Four minutes after the quake, the first wave came and it was 15 meters high. It destroys 80 houses. The second wave comes. And when this is happening, when rescuers are going to the shore area to help people, one of the rescuers had been in his house at the first wave and told his family, his wife and his two kids to get into the car and head up. And he was trying to, I think, secure some things in the house and he was going to run up, but he got caught in that wave. And he ends up actually being okay. Mm-hmm. And he goes down to the beach to help people. And then the second wave is coming. He hears his daughter in the sea crying for him. And he's like, that doesn't make any sense because they went up the hill in the car. Right. But it turns out the car was actually picked up and sucked back. <gasps> yeah. To the shore mm-hmm. before the second wave came. And it's a freaking miracle. Rescuers actually find his wife and son clinging to debris out in the sea and were able to save them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I I think it's like he really tried to keep his family safe. And in the end, they were okay. But like, isn't that insane? That is insane. So in total, remember in the beginning, there were like 80 houses destroyed in that first wave. I don't know how many people died in the first wave, but total, there were 437 houses destroyed and 198 people died. And there were two waves that were the biggest in that one. Um, They came from different directions. That's That's the thing that's kind of unique about this tsunami is that... The first one came from the source and then another wraparound situation where another wave hit on the other side of that area Mm. and just wiped out everything. Wow. Yeah. And like I mentioned, the closer to the source of the tsunami that you are to that impact zone, the more power is unleashed right there. And they ended up actually building huge seawalls and those concrete blocks to stop the waves. They look like giant jacks. Like if you play the game Jax. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But like huge. Yeah. So after this happened, um, it was so devastating that people were like, we have to make some kind of barrier to this area. We need a 300 foot wall. Safety. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about December 26, 2004. At 758 a.m., the ocean coast of Sumatra, Indonesia, had the second largest earthquake on record, 9.3 on the Richter scale. The tsunami ended up hitting 12 countries 16 minutes after. So northern Sumatra, right where the impact zone is, Mm -hmm. was hit by 35 meter waves. Do you know what that is in the feet? That is 115 feet. That's that's pretty tall. I would say that's pretty tall. And northern Sumatra is decimated. 160,000 people are killed there. Yes. So that's the first place. Uh Um, Dr. Jose Barorio who he came four days later to kind of look at the impacts of this mm-hmm. tsunami. And he's a, he studies tsunamis and earthquakes, plate tectonics, that kind of stuff. And he was saying that it was 70% total damage to the infrastructure in northern Sumatra. All along the coastline was just wiped out. One and a half hours after the initial impact, the initial earthquake, the tsunami hits Thailand. More than 8,000 people died there. And then 2,000 kilometers away in Sri Lanka, 35,000 people died and half a million were left homeless where it hit in Sri Lanka. In total, 
Nearly 230,000 people died. It is the highest death toll of any tsunami in the last 300 years. If you combine all the tsunamis that happened in the last 300 years, this is higher. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The entire planet's sea level rose by one-tenth of a millimeter. Basically, all the displaced water above that ground Mm -hmm. that, you know, had the earthquake in the Indian Ocean spread out across the Earth. And every spot on Earth, every spot on Earth, Jen, moved at least one centimeter. Wow. The energy created in the wave was 550 million times that of the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. And if you want to think of it in a different way, that's enough energy to fuel all American households for 370 years. <laughs> it's like you you just can't wrap your, wrap you your head around it. You no, cannot. You can't. Even crazier, that earth, earthquake changed the rotation of the Earth just slightly and shortened the day by 2.68 microseconds. This reminds me of the volcano episode. Yes. Remember? Yeah. Yes. How it changed the climate. Yeah. It's like the Earth is like, I'm just going to adjust some stuff. It wobbled about 25 millimeters. Wow. That distance. Yeah. Some of the islands on the Burma plate that are southwest of Sumatra actually sunk up to about a meter and shifted 1.25 meters to the south. I think I can't remember exactly where, but they shifted. They physically moved. Isn't that crazy? That is nuts. Under the water, there were landslides, obviously, Mm -hmm. that were caused by that quake. And a new ocean trench was created by those landslides. And there's a series of videos you can watch on YouTube that go into super great detail. It's called the Boxing Day Tsunami of 2004, Anatomy of a Catastrophe. And it's like a series of videos for all the surrounding areas. Mm -hmm. It goes into way more detail. Part of why Christine, she contacted me. We were talking about this. She really wanted to talk about just the physical change the earth went through when the tsunami happened Mm -hmm. and how just insane that is. And it makes you wonder... You know, we know what it did on land yeah, to people and animals and everybody yes. on land. But it makes you also wonder what it did to all of the species in the water. Yeah. Like how it affected them. For sure. In some, Even if it was in some minute way, like maybe somebody's nest, you know, or the, was destroyed or you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It just it's I'm sure it's compounded in many ways. Many ways. Yeah. Scientists who studied this tsunami say that there was this kind of bizarre anomaly that they found. Uh, When the earthquake happened, the wave that was headed to Sri Lanka was actually the top of the wave, what they call a positive wave. And when a positive wave hits land, it causes flooding conditions. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a high tide, but it's at low tide time, like should it be happening. Mm -hmm. And then the bottom of the wave. So like where the crack happened and it split, that's like the top of the wave went west to Mm -hmm. Sri Lanka and the bottom of the wave went east to Thailand. The bottom of the wave called the negative wave, that's when gravity causes that suck of the seawater back out. So you're like standing on the beach and all of a sudden the water's like super low tide and you're like, what's happening right before it comes barreling in? Mm -hmm. So that's what happened in Thailand was everybody was like, whoa, where's the water going? But everybody in Sri Lanka was like, why do we have all this water? Why do we have all this water? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's this story in the YouTube thing that I watched. There's a British couple, the Welbies, and they have their 11 their 11 year old son with them. And they're in Gaul, Sri Lanka. And the dad had gotten up early in the morning and he noticed that the tide was like right up against their bungalow. They were like on a beach bungalow. He was like, wait, 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 wait. It's not supposed to be high tide. It's supposed to be low tide right now. And then all of a sudden the floor exploded. The water just came rushing into their bungalow, literally, I guess, exploded his wife out of the bed. Oh, my gosh. She was she was talking about how it felt like they were in a washing machine. 
like you would ha- you have no idea the intense amount of pressure and like the fact that water can just move a bed it was crazy right they end up grabbing their son i guess in all of this happening the three of them somehow get into this concrete bathroom and they're just swirling around in the bathroom and the water is gushing in filling up kind of running out filling up running it they're just it's insanity and then another wave hits and the concrete walls of the bathroom start to crumble and their son gets trapped under some concrete and he cannot he's like fighting to keep his head above water they're freaking out. They can't move the concrete. It's like super heavy. And then the last wave comes in. And by some freaking miracle, it moves lifts the concrete. the concrete and he's free. Oh, thank God. I know. When they showed his face in the video, I was like, please don't die. Oh, I couldn't even. <laughs> yeah. can't even imagine that. And that oddity of the third wave, that's the thing that they're talking about was this anomaly. The tsunami goes past Sri Lanka, right? It like hits the bottom of Africa a little bit past Sri Lanka, but then it hits the Maldives and bounces back. It's called a reflection. It's like they had those two big waves. Uh And that third wave was random because it reflected off of the Maldives and back to Sri Lanka and hit everything on the other side, which is where they were in Gaul. So the Maldives didn't get, they weren't affected by it? I'm sure they were affected by it because... Because they have a sorcerer. Just Gandalf was out there. (laughs) He was like, be gone. I mean, it's not funny. So it's not funny. But but yeah, the Maldives just, yeah. yeah, they just kicked it back. They were like, we don't want this. So scientists were really interested in learning more about this tsunami. And after they learn about this reflective power of the tsunami wave in the YouTube video I watched, there was kind of this quote that was like, as a result of that tsunami, scientists have learned that they really don't know anything about tsunamis. And it's I mean, yeah, it's kind of random because like that one guy said, Dr. Walter, I think he Mm -hmm. was like, it's different for every coastline. And if coastlines are changing and evolving or whatever, it's wow. always going to be different. That's not cool. Yeah. You can't. That's I mean, very they can, unpredictable. They can make some predictive models based uh-huh. on the size of an earthquake or a landslide or whatever, but you never really know what might happen. Great. Yeah. Fun. That British couple. I love this. I love this story. They actually raised a bunch of money for the people who lived in Gaul, Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. following the tsunami. At the time of the thing, I think it was like they had raised 25000 but... It was nice. They go back and visit and like give back to that community. Yeah, I'm sure that that is forever, you know, They're imprinted like on their bonded. lives that they almost lost their kid. Yeah, that's just. And that's what the mom was saying that like you just realize like there's you need to take life like you really need to take hold of it and like do all the things that you want to do. Precious. It's precious. Exactly. Something to remember about all of these tsunamis is that when the waves are pushing in, it's not like this clear seawater and nothing's in it. I mean, I'm sure everybody kind of realizes this, but uh, the the debris and like cars, sand from the bottom of the seafloor, mm-hmm. coral, rocks, you know, if the, if it, a seawall gets taken down, pieces of the seawall, concrete Ugh. like this, right? Yeah. All of those things cause so much more damage, death and destruction. And yes. that's maybe one of the worst things. Scientists that came to see the area after to study the tsunami really struggled with like, okay, we're studying this for science, but then like, wow, there's like all this death and mayhem and we need to help people be prepared for these kind of events in the future. Yeah. Because if it's going that fast mm-hmm. and it's, and it's that strong and it's hurtling like a car towards you, like a, like a jet plane, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's all you're going to ever see again. I mean, it's, Yeah, it's insanely scary to think about. Yes. I think, too, like people who survive, a lot of counts that you read, it's like they just black out and somehow they survived. 
Like they don't know. I did watch that movie way back of the family who was in this this tsunami, Mm -hmm. but in Thailand, the receding water and then the massive wave. Uh It was actually, I think, in real life, they're a Spanish family, but in the movie, they're British. It's like Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor. And it's like their story about how they were reunited and just the yeah, I never crazy stuff that, they went But through. I heard it was really good. It's insane. I, I don't think I'll watch it again because it was super emotional. But mm-hmm. yeah. So that 35 meter wave in Sumatra mm-hmm. is still not the biggest wave, Jen. What? I know. Is it blowing your mind? Wait, is that number four? That was number four. Okay. So I wasn't sure if your waves or if you're going by the wave size or the number of deaths, but obviously, because I was thinking that would have been five because it had the most deaths. They had the most deaths, but not the highest wave. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that was 115 feet at its highest. Yeah. Okay. 35 meters, 150. I'm ready for your next meter number. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. This was actually going to be in feet. So you have to look up the meters. Because we're going to be in America. Okay, I got it. I'm, I got the, co- the conversion on my phone <laughs> Ready happening to go. right now. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So yeah, so far we've been talking about tsunamis caused by earthquakes. Uh-huh. Let's talk about ones made by landslides. Ew. Because they trigger a different kind of tsunami. Scientists believe that there's going to be an ultimate tsunami in our future. Something that would be comparable to prehistoric times that wipe out the earth. Oh, yeah. There's movies like about this. Yeah. Okay. All right. So July 8th, 1958, Latuya Bay, Alaska. And there are actually native legends in this area about a giant beast who can shake the ocean and destroy everything on the coastline. What? Yeah. I love it. Latuya means lake within the point. And it's a remote fjord on the coast of southeast Alaska. And interestingly, in 1786, Jean-Francois de La Perouse. Good job. Good times. Made note of this area because 21 of his men died in that bay. From? Uh, it just says the current. I don't know. It's had a number of tsunamis Whoa. in this bay. But in 1958, there was this mysterious wave that was two times the height of the Golden Gate Bridge. Five years before this wave happened, mm-hmm. geologists were mapping the area. So there's this guy, Dr. George Plafker. He and this other geologist were looking for oil potential in the area and also nearby Gulf of Alaska. Were they prospectors? They were prospecting, Jen. Um, They did not find any oil, but they did come across this super weird thing that was on the shore. They saw different aged trees as you move from the shoreline. So younger trees Mm -hmm. encircled the bay. And there's a photo of it. Mm -hmm. And you can see they're like young trees. Like they're, it's clearly there's like a line almost around the bay. And they know that means large scale destruction. So they start thinking like, what could this be? Could it be fire? They don't see any evidence of that. Could it be an avalanche? They don't see any evidence. They're in a fjord. They were like, maybe it's a glacier. Maybe the glacier moved. I want to be part of this circle of deciding what it is. Right. Just throw in the things like, it's the Kraken. You know, just like <laughs> right. throw in random stuff. And they're like, just go sit down. Go away. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was just like a lot of beavers. <laughs> just a lot of beavers. <laughs> they just have a. It's crazy. It's actually a tidal wave of beavers. Of beavers. That, That's what it was. It's a beaver moon that brings them in. <laughs> they even thought maybe it was like breakouts of large amounts of water that came over the glacier and just flooded the area. Basically, they came up with like a ton of ideas, but they didn't know what really happened. There's this guy. His name is Howard Ulrich, and he takes his son Howard Jr. They go on a fishing trip. Okay. And they go out into this bay. It's a really remote bay. Just remember that. There are not a lot of people there. They go out into the bay. They drop their anchor. They make dinner. 9 p.m. rolls around. It's bedtime. One hour later, the boat is shaking. And they're on water, right? There was an earthquake, 8.3. 
on the Richter scale. It was 21 kilometers from the bay. They rush out on deck and they see a huge explosion. And Howard Sr. Mm -hmm. uh, describes it as if it was like someone setting off a bomb in the bay, just like this massive explosion. As the spray settles down, uh, out of the bottom of the explosion uh -huh. was a huge wave 1,000 feet high. No. He estimates 1,000 feet high. Okay, he estimated. Just hold on a second. Okay. It's traveling at 112 kilometers per hour. It's coal black. It's full of logs, trees. It's full of trees. All the old trees, that, the <laughs> right? ghost trees. The ghost trees. He was horrified. He's like, we're going to die. That's it. We're dying. Yeah. The wave snaps their anchor chain. He actually at some point turns on the motor. He's like, I, maybe I should turn on the motor. I don't know. It snaps their anchor chain. He was really worried that it was going to pull them down under the water. Mm -hmm. But let's go. Lifts the boat up into the air. And they're just looking down at the tops of the trees like they're broccoli. They ride the wave, Jen. Completely unharmed. Wow. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like if a tsunami comes, and I don't know if this is true, but you're, mm -hmm. you're safer out on the water. We're, we're going to totally get to that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But that sounds horrific. Horrific. Yeah, he was, I mean, he's convinced. Like we're, I'm sure at some point he was like, we're going to heaven right now. They probably pooed a little first. For sure. Sadly, there were two other boats who were in the bay. They were not as lucky. Both boats were completely destroyed. And I Whoa. think there were four or five people on board and they all died. Wow. So you just have to be in the right spot. Be in the right spot. Yeah. I'm still waiting with my calculator or my calculations over here. So am I calculating a thousand feet? I'm going to tell you in a second. I'll, okay. tell, you the, I'll tell you the total that it's going to be. Okay. I need, it's just like, I'm really waiting. I'm anticipating this. You're, you're ready with your thumb? Yes. Everything in the wave's path is gone. And there's footage that you can see from 1958. And it looks like someone took a giant landscraper and just scraped everything away. Like topsoil, trees, everything gone. So are people living there? There's like some people, but they're no, not really. I was going to say, I feel like the people from there would be like, we're going to be way the hell up there. Yeah, because it's happened before. Yeah. Yeah. The wave ended up being estimated to be 1,740 feet. No way. Yes. All right. For all you meter people, 1,740. Yeah. Is 530 meters. That's pretty freaking tall. Do you know that that's 500 feet higher than the Empire State Building? No, I didn't know that. But now, now I you do. do. That is. So they were at the top of that? Yes. Oh, it's like a bad dream. That's a horrible dream. Those are dream. the kind of dreams I have that I just like, it's <laughs> just terrible. <laughs> yeah. The earthquake that happened, that 8.1, I think it was, or 8.3, uh -huh. it triggered a landslide. 30 million cubic meters of the side of the mountain displaced the water. Oh, that's what they heard hitting the yes, water. The explosion. Oh, my gosh. And the debris that came down forced all the water out of the bay. More water was pushed out of the bay than land fell into the water. So it wasn't like the water rose up. It fully got ejected out of the bay. It's, so, like, it's like when you cannonball into the pool. Yes. Yeah. Basically. So what happens is... It turns out that there was an air pocket that was created behind the wave. Mm -hmm. And so the wave never got the chance to roll back because the landslide created this air pocket that pushed the wave even harder mm -hmm. and propelled it out of the bay entirely, which is why it was so freaking huge. Think of like, yeah, like we were talking about, but also if you were to take a paddle and splash the water with your paddle. Okay. It's like a massive paddle that just splashed the water out of the bay. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. So, yeah, you can see the effects in the younger trees because all that water is gone. Mm -hmm. It was moved away. 
So that wasn't the first time that it happened. Not the first time. I think it's like five different times. Is that the last since time it's it been happened? recorded? I don't know if there's been any recently. So yeah, I'm sure there has some. That's why they have all kinds of creepy stories about that bay, right? Yeah. Well, and you have to think that it's there's a glacier there. Mm-hmm. I mean, like climate change and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. you're like, mm, it's probably gonna get worse. Yeah. All right. Scientists on Oahu have been looking at these kinds of tsunamis from landslides and considering possible models for tsunamis in the future. So there's this professor and his name is Dr. Gerard Fryer, and he has uncovered a potential wave that will be, quote, culture ending, and he calls it a mega tsunami. He believes that this tsunami will be triggered by Mauna Loa, which is the world's largest volcano. Oh, yes. And as it prepares for eruption, what will happen is the magma will make the volcano swell and rise up, causing the sides of the mountain to become steeper. And then there's going to be a succession of small earthquakes until a large one is going to take off the western side of the volcano, that flank of the volcano. The land will go into the ocean, and that wave that's created from that landslide would be in Honolulu within 30 minutes. The sea that would be created from this, this model that he's made, shows that the sea would be higher than a 10-story building. The waves would move at over 70 kilometers an hour, and the seawater would go 16 kilometers inland, like all the way to the Pali Highway, middle of Oahu, uh-huh. just wiping out everything in its path. Ooh. It's expected to happen within 10 to 20,000 years. So, Okay, so we'll be, we'll be long gone, and anyone we know. Right. So scientists and engineers are working together to come up with early warning systems and protective measures to help mitigate the impacts of tsunamis. I saw a number of different things. There's these predictive models. There's the, you know, the work to get the early, like how we were in on Oahu in Honolulu and the sirens went off, like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Really making sure that people have communication through apps and they're prepared to do whatever they need to do to be safe and make it through these natural disasters that are insane. And there was like a bunch of engineers in Japan. They have like a mini area where they run these waves and they hit concrete blocks. and They're trying to make new concrete that's going to be more resilient or like, yeah, help with these tsunamis that are happening. Those are all very cool things. But I did want to talk about what to do in the event of a tsunami. Yes, tell us. We and need I, to know this. I things. went to a number of sites. Red Cross had some good stuff. NOAA had some good stuff. Those were kind of the main two that I okay. looked at. All right. If there is an earthquake and you are in a tsunami area, protect yourself from the earthquake first. Drop, cover, and hold on. So if you're experiencing the actual quake, which yes. a lot of people in that when the Boxing Day tsunami happened, Mm -hmm. they experienced that massive earthquake first Mm -hmm. and they had to like protect themselves, right? Cover your head with your neck and your arms. Hold on to any sturdy furniture until the shaking stops. Crawl only if you can reach a better cover. Do not go through an area with more debris. When the shaking stops, if there are natural signs or official warnings of a tsunami, move immediately to a safe place as high and far inland as possible. Obviously, listen to the tsunami warnings, authorities, all that stuff. If there are evacuation orders, like how we checked the website to make sure that we were inside or outside of the tsunami zone. And then we just jumped in the car and drove around higher. And I was like, why did I drove up? Yes. And I was like, why did I come here? We're all going to die. I was like, you're going to be fine. (laughs) If you are outside the tsunami hazard zone and you're receiving a warning, stay where you are unless the officials tell you otherwise. Leave immediately if you're told to do so. This is mostly like just listening to people. Mm -hmm. If you're in the water, I mean, cannot even imagine. 
It says grab onto something that floats, like a raft or a tree trunk. If you're in a boat, face the direction of the waves and head out to sea. If you are in a harbor, go inland. One thing that they mentioned was like you should save your phone calls for emergencies because usually when there's some kind of natural disaster, phone lines are like super tied up. So you should communicate with your family and friends via like apps. So okay. if you have like WhatsApp or Facebook or some kind of messenger thing, email, that would mm-hmm. be better than using your phone because those phone lines are needed for 911 calls. Right. That's like priority. They say avoid wading in flood water, which is because there's going to be a lot of debris and you don't know how deep the water is. Mm-hmm. You should be really aware of the risk of electrocution because everything's been knocked down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To escape a tsunami, go as high and far as you can, ideally to a spot 100 feet above sea level or two miles away. If you can see the wave, you're too close. Period. 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 Yes. A tsunami warning means a tsunami may have been generated and could be close to your area. A tsunami watch means a tsunami has not yet been verified but could exist and may be as little as an hour away. Mm-hmm. This really made me smile because Christine is really into emergency preparedness. I love it. And uh, it said assembling an emergency preparedness kit is important. Creating a household evacuation plan that includes your pets. Staying informed about your community's risks and response plans. Ensuring each family member knows how to get back in touch if you are separated during an emergency. And then mm-hmm. it says to like download these apps for iPhone and Android and stuff. But I'm like... Hopefully in your emergency preparedness kit is a waterproof pouch for your phone, <laughs> because if you're in the water in the tsunami, hey, your I phone is probably not going to gone. So, yeah. One thing that I really like is that they're like, hey, listen, you got to talk about tsunamis and emergency situations with your family ahead of time. Discussing these things ahead of time helps people feel less fear about possible situations, because, you know, if you know what you're going to do, you definitely feel better about it, particularly for young children. Check out your workplace and your children's schools and daycare centers to learn if they are in a tsunami hazard area or inundation zone. Learn about their evacuation plans, especially the designated spot where you will pick up your children. And actually, this reminds me of when we were kind of worried about North Korea over there in Hawaii when I was staying there. I had said to my son, because at the time I worked close to his school, and I was Mm -hmm. like, if there is some kind of warning and, you know, there's everything like some crazy stuff is going on you're going to meet me here. We're going to meet on this pathway in between my work and your school because it was like kind of nerve wracking at that time. Yeah. Well, we have, I mean, we're, I feel like on Guam, we're pretty prepared for typhoons. Mm -hmm. Like we have a generator, we have, uh, you know, type shutters, we keep extra water, you know, and you kind of know when it's coming. Right. That's a little bit of the difference is we kind of, we have time to prepare. We'll get fuel, water, you know, make sure we have all the things, batteries for all your because the power will go out. Yeah. But this is a little different. If you got to prepare ahead of time and have a plan already in place. Yes. If you know you're within the zone, you need to have a plan Agreed. for sure. Agreed. It does say if you can't get as high as 100 feet above sea level or two miles inland, then you should just get as high or far away as you can. So they say every foot inland or upward may make a difference. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that makes me. A little bit like sad. Yeah, it's sad because there's a lot of people who are either elderly or have disabilities that they yes. cannot unless somebody were to come and get them. take them. Yeah. And I think, well, I guess that has to be part of your plan. For sure. You know? For sure. But yeah, that's I know just from the documentaries I've seen, it was that was an issue for people yeah. who were disabled and couldn't get out in time. What are they going to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's very sad. It does say to make sure you have access to some kind of 
radio broadcast, especially like a NOAA radio broadcast. Uh-huh. And it says to look for like a radio app for your phone. But then very important, and I have one. I don't know if you have one, what? but you should have what a battery powered or hand crank radio. I do also like this. Prepare a pet emergency kit for your companion animals. Yes. Yeah. Five cats and a dog are going to be in that car with all their food. It's going to be insane. Yeah. Yeah. I I talked about this. What episode was that where I was talking about um, preparing something for your animals as well? Yeah. I'm sure everybody else remembers. Everybody else will remember. <laughs> you guys remember? Great. But anyway, always include your pets. Always include your pets. As part of your emergency plan. And if you have, you know, livestock chickens. Ensure that any outbuildings, pastures, or corrals are protected in the same way as your home. Fence lines should enable your animals to move to higher ground in the event of a tsunami. And actually, it makes me think a little bit, I mean, obviously, ants are not livestock, but you know when the little boy David was outside with his sister and the ants were, like, biting him? Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder if they were, like, animals always know stuff. No, the ants were probably moving away from that. Yeah. And like, get out of our way, kid. Yeah. yeah. But it it got them out of the way. It does also mention, and I think this is, I mean, kind of obvious, avoid building or living in buildings within several hundred feet of the coastline. Yeah. Got it. Did you see that uh, video recently of like a house? I forget where it's South Carolina or Florida mm-hmm. or somewhere that just like fully fell into the sea. Yes, I did. Like, I was Ooh. like, wow, that's so that's such a bummer. And it looked kind of new, too. Yeah, it did. It was a beautiful house. Yeah. Something to think about is after the tsunami has gone away. So that's kind of like the prep side. Mm -hmm. But when the tsunami has receded, you need to let people know that you're safe. You should have some kind of way to communicate with them that you're safe. And it does mention that the American Red Cross can help you reconnect with family members. So if evacuated, return only when authorities say it's safe to do so. And you should be listening to local news or NOAA weather radio for any updated information or instructions. Something that they like people to remember is if you if people around you are injured, practice check, call, care. Check the scene to be sure it's safe for you to approach. Call for help. And if you are trained, provide first aid to those in need until emergency responders can arrive. Because you don't want to get in a situation where you're going to put yourself in danger or you don't know what you're doing and you're going to make mm-hmm. that person worse. So that's something to remember. The three or kill C's. yourself. Yeah. Or three, the three C's, check, call, care. It does say, I mean, this kind of makes sense. Avoid disaster areas. Uh, also, you should expect aftershocks. So if the earthquake was really large, like eight to nine in magnitude, mm-hmm. if it was nearby, you're going to have aftershocks that could be seven on the Richter scale and capable of generating another tsunami. That is frightening. Very much so. It might take days, weeks, or months for the aftershocks to subside. Awful. Wow. It does mention to wear protective clothing, you know, long pants, long long sleeve shirts, sturdy shoes, be cautious. And I think about that story of the family that kind of trekked across Thailand to get back together and that they didn't have anything. You know, they were just like at the pool in pool (laughs) clothes. Yeah. Like... Because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. It just happened. Just happened. Like it's an earthquake. You, There's no time to prepare for that. Yeah. There was like a bunch of stuff about like insurance. Like, oh, you should take pictures of your house or you should. <laughs> and I was kind of like, all right. I mean, I get it. Yeah. You got to protect your investment. Sure. It does mention if your home has been flooded, you should sh- shovel out any mud before it solidifies. And I'm like, oh, that's smart. Yeah. Okay. Also, they say open your windows and doors to help dry out the building. And probably there's going to be some chemical issues and all that stuff. So if you're interested in learning more, you can go to 
the NOAA site about tsunamis, and then Red Cross. Let's talk about tsunami fact versus fiction. This is our last little part here. All right. Are you ready? Okay. So, Jen, you're going to answer fact or fiction based on things that you've learned today. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I love this. Tsunamis are giant walls of water. Fact. Occasionally. Yeah. Tsunamis can form walls of water known as Whatever. tsunami That's bores. a mob move right there. <laughs> but tsunamis normally have the appearance of fast rising and fast receding flood. They can be similar to a tide cycle occurring in just 10 to 60 minutes instead of 12 hours. But it is kind of a fact. It's all good. I a feel tricked now. All right. Ready? Okay. A tsunami is a single wave. False. False. That's Fiction. right. Wait, I think I was supposed to say... <laughs> a ding, ding, ding. <laughs> a tsunami is a series of waves called a tsunami chain. Mm-hmm. Wave chain. I thought it was a tsunami. I thought it was a train. Train, not chain. Yeah, because I was thinking like when I there think of go. wave train, it makes me think of people at a like a football game or something. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> doing the wave. Often the first wave, the initial wave, is not the largest. We learned about yes. that in some of our stories. I've learned so much. I yeah. feel like I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna get a hundred percent. There you go. Okay. In fact, the largest wave may not occur for several hours. There may also be more than one series of tsunami waves if a very large earthquake triggers local landslides, which in turn trigger additional tsunamis. Yay. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Boats should move to the protection of a bay or harbor during a tsunami. False. That is correct, Jen. Yay! <laughs> Tsunamis are often most destructive in bays and harbors, not just because of the waves, but because of the violent currents they generate in local waterways, like the bath situation in yeah. Hilo Harbor. Go to the deep water. Yes. The tsunamis are least destructive in deep ocean, open ocean waters. Okay. Got Good it. Good job. Good job. Last question. Are you ready? Oh, God. Okay. I'm ready. A tsunami is the same thing as a tidal wave. Oh, I know this one. False. That's right, Jen. Tidal waves are regular ocean waves and they're caused by the tides, the sun and the moon. Yes. These waves are caused by the interaction of the pull of the moon's gravity on Earth. A tidal wave, quote unquote, is a term used in common folklore to mean the same thing as a tsunami, but it is not the same thing. Yay. Good job, Jen. 100%. Thank you. You get a gold star. I am all about achieving greatness. I love it. I love it. All right. So we are to our organization to support. All right. I would like us to support the Pacific Tsunami Museum. Oh, sweet. Yeah. You can find them at tsunami.org. And let me tell you a little bit about them. All right. At the Pacific Tsunami Museum, they are saving lives through education. Through education and awareness, we believe that no one should die due to a tsunami. The goals of the museum are to promote public tsunami education and to preserve history. The museum serves as a living memorial to those who lost their lives in past tsunami events. So I thought this was a great thing to support when we talked about Jean Branch Johnston. Okay. Right. In Mm -hmm. the uh, first Hilo Bay tsunami. Yep. Which was our grandparents' house. Yes. She was part of organizing, founding this group. And I just think it'd be a great group to support. And they have a donation button on their page. It looks like a good, good cause. That's awesome. Are they in Hawaii? They are in Hilo, Hawaii. Hilo. Okay. Yep. So you can go there if you're in Hilo. You can. Uh, general admission is $8. Senior, seniors and Kamaaina are 7 Perfect. Yeah. Children ages 6 to 17 are $4 and toddlers are free. So if you're in Hilo or plan on going, you should yeah. go check it out. Go check it out. If you can't go there, you can go online and check it out. For sure. That's a great organization. Yeah. So, Jen. Yes. We are to our part where we talk about the emergency preparedness kit. Right. I feel like you pretty much covered all the real life things that we need to have in our emergency preparedness kit. Like, yeah. Very well done. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. I feel 
like I learned a lot and now I know what to put in my actual real life one. But Mm -hmm. if I were going to have a ridiculous imaginary emergency preparedness kit, as we do on You're Going to Die Out There podcast, I think that the only thing that could help you in this situation Mm -hmm. would be um, a sorcerer. A, a, A Gandalf. Right. We already well, we already, well, we already Gandalf. used a Gandalf. Yeah, Gandalf yeah. already so did can't, our... Gandalf is he can't be everywhere all the time. I'm saying a sorcerer of the Maldives. Okay. I like it. Well that's yeah. Because, because the reflection. The reflection. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are really low lying little islands. Yeah. The fact that it turned around. It was like deuces. Yeah. That's some magical stuff right there. Mm-hmm. That's some wizardry. A wizard of the Maldives. <laughs> sorcerer. A sorcerer. A sorcerer of the Maldives. All right. Or a Maldives sorcerer. Yeah, or that's sorcer- good. Maldives sorcerer. Yeah. Mal- or sorcery of the Maldives. I mean, either way. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you decide when you uh, write it up. Write it up on the uh, thing. I think we'll go sorcerer of the Maldives. That just sounds more sorcerery. It does. Right. And I, I kind of picture, you know, somebody from that area, like looking very, like an islander. Yeah. But like sorcery. But with like, um, like a cloak that has like long arms on it <laughs> but it's like it's like more flowy it's like a linen it's like it's a like linen a, cloak. yeah less velvety yes like yes. colors like colors to reflect the sun yes and they have like they're holding like an old wooden like i don't know stick mm-hmm. from the islands mm-hmm. anyway you cut all that from a native tree a sorcerer of the maldives to protect us all from the 2000 foot wave yeah end of story done Thank you, Megan, for that. That was super interesting. And I appreciate it. I learned a lot. I hope everybody learned a lot. Me too. I hope you enjoyed the story today. Thanks, Megan. No problem. You're Gonna Die Out There is produced by us, Jan and Megan, and edited by Jonathan Pillsbury. We'd love it if you can leave us a five-star iTunes review on Apple Podcasts. You can support us by following on Instagram or Twitter, listening and subscribing wherever you get podcasts or becoming a patron. Check out more on our website, at you're gonna die out there.com where you can see our awesome eco-friendly sponsors and nature nerd artisans page. If you'd like to send us your own stories or episode ideas, you can submit them through our contact form on the website or to our email, you're gonna die out there at gmail.com. And until next time, don't die out there. Bye. Bye. It wasn't there like a gum or something where that squirts out like stuff is in the middle and it squirts out. That's Gushers. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I do remember, though, there's a lot of car dealerships that are like, it's a tidal wave this summer. (laughs) And it's like it doesn't have nearly the punch now that, you know, we know the difference. So I had to look it up and there was. See, this is so 80s because it's an 80s. It's under a thing called 80s candy. (laughs) It was called tidal wave bubblegum. You don't remember it? I just remember, I I remember looking at the commercials and it was, it was like, it's a tidal wave of flavor. And it was like, like (laughs) but I think it was that gum that had stuff in the middle. Oh. When you bit it. I mean, it's, it's gross. That, and it just explodes in your mouth. It explodes and you're like, this is amazing. And you're chewing it. And then like 30 seconds in your jaw is like starting to cramp. And there's no more flavor. Yeah. Flavor is gone. That's good. I love it. Mm -hmm. 80s. 80s. I used to think like, oh, Hawaii is a great place because it's just right there. You're not like 
Uh-huh. You know, you're just kind of alone. You know, what, what's the big deal? But no, actually, we had a suit. Remember to, when to we were there together? Yes, it was like the next day I arrived in Hawaii and it was like the next you're day. You're a two year old. And there were all these with a cast on warnings. Yeah. I mean, you had a cast. Not yeah, the I had a, yeah. You had a cast and a two year old and I was pregnant. <laughs> It was amazing. <laughs> and we're like, oh, shoot, we're in the tsunami zone. Yeah, because we were living really close to Ala Moana. Yeah. And I was I was freaking out. You were like, it's OK, because we were right on the other side of the Ala Moana uh, canal. Yeah. So we were like kind of safe. Yeah. But we were still kind of within that zone. We were within it. I think we drove. We're like, well, let's just drive somewhere. Let's go around. Yeah. We'll go up the hill. We're like, let's just go waste some gas right now. Right. Yeah. But n- then nothing happened. Right. And it was just like a little tiny wave on the beach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Good. <laughs> this is true. But the sirens, the sirens. That was frightening. Yes. This reminds me of the volcano episode. Yes. Remember? Yes. How it changed the climate. Yeah. And like changed like for the whole. It's like the earth is like, I'm just going to adjust some stuff. It, the earth is like picking a wedgie. Yeah. Or the earth is like. Had a little bit of, you know, little too much, little IBS. <laughs> like it just something happened. Tooting. Yeah. This is the earth tooting. This is what <laughs> like real bad. And also, you should watch the Unsolved Mysteries episode about the Japanese tsunami <laughs> in 2011 and the ghosts. Yeah. Because that was one of the things that, I mean, I know Megan doesn't believe in ghosts, but for all of you <laughs> who are on the ghost train with me, let's, right. let's talk about this. But they do talk about how a lot of the ghosts didn't know they died. Right. Because it just happened so fast. Just you don't know what's happening. Yeah. And that's why there's mm-hmm. all these ghosts because they're like looking, going back to their houses that are just not there anymore. Like because it house? completely leveled areas. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll be, that was the taxi cab thing. People would ask to go that to was an the, area. You know, that was the creepiest part of your story. That was I. so creepy. <laughs> and so the taxi would be like, but there's nothing there. But they would drive there. And when they look back, there's nobody in their taxi. Yeah. I'd be like, well, it's time for a new career. <laughs> <laughs> I think I want to be a computer programmer. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Good times. And I have a hand crank radio because it's important. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I had one when I was a Peace Corps and I still couldn't Somewhere. make it work to where I would hear the news. Right, right. <laughs> because... you're, just, you're like furiously turning it. <laughs> but yours is probably from like 1975. Whatever. What are you trying to say? <laughs> no, I think that I could get Voices of America at right. some point. I figured it out randomly how to hear it on yeah. some little random radio I had. <laughs> but you were like in a tree and like holding it up yes. in the air. Yeah. Yes. I do remember a picture of you. I think it's of you standing in a tree with a sat phone. Yes. And just like I'm, you were trying to call somebody. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no idea, but I had to climb a few times. Yeah. I just watched that. Doctor Strange movie that just came out and the Scarlet Witch. I mean, she's evil, right? But okay. she's got some skills. I'm just saying. Oh, right. You told me you went to see that and it was kind of scary. It was creepy. I was like, whoa, I did. <laughs> it's like you go see a Marvel movie. You expect to see it like, you know, just underwear on the outside and, you know, <laughs> right. Helmets and stuff. Right, right. Uh, and it's going to be fun and whatever, entertaining. I was literally jump scared like four times. Wow. I was like, this is, it's not okay. That's it was like okay, it was like crossing over to like the ring or something. Yes. Ew. No lie. Wow. Yeah. I was really surprised. Actually, one time my son was like, what? What just happened? <laughs> yeah. Did you cover his eyes? No, not at all. <laughs> You're like, feel it. I was like, have bad dreams for a week. Feel the fear. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, so yeah. was there a cool, there was a cool sorcerer lady? The, the Scarlet Witch, yeah. But she was, I mean, she was having like a mental breakdown, but wow. I'm just saying she had skills. So I, I think that that would be. I mean, I'm glad she had some skills, but sure. I don't know. I don't want somebody with a mental breakdown. I think just a sorcerer in general. Protecting is me. Good. 